Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media, and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Sean Rance. Sean, I, I can't remember the first time I actually met Sean. It may have been with Dean Bullock or Jeff Rector, Mitch Funk, maybe in Moab before racing. But Sean races the 4500 class at Ultra 4 and uh, King of the Hammers, and he raced with us in Dirt Riot. He was also um, the head of my pit crew, as I called it, every time we'd come to you know, one of the Dirt Riot races or into Farmington. Um, Sean was the, and his guys were always there to make sure that the uh, the We Rock Jeep was uh, ready for battle. So, Sean, thank you so much for uh, everything you've done, and you know I want to say you know thank you for coming on and you know and talking with us. Well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a honor to have a conversation with Big Rich. Um, I believe we met in eleven. Um, I I can't remember it was at Moab, but. Uh, and then because you started the dirt riot in 11 or 12. And I think it was 11. <laughs> I believe That's... it was 11. Um, but it may have been, we did a test, a test event and then we did, and then we started a full season. Yeah. And I didn't race the first season. Um, I, I, I was there with Mitch Funk, but then, um, after that I did a number of seasons Great. and, and and it was some of the most <laughs> enjoyable times we had in in racing. Well, I sure enjoyed it. Um, I really loved all the racers. Um, I loved setting up the race courses and going into all the parks and everything. But you know that's a that's another story. So yeah. let's uh, let's start off the beginning by by asking you where were you born and raised? Um, I was born in California by chance and then um, i was only two and moved to uh, grand junction colorado and lived there i lived in colorado till my father passed away in uh, 75 and then i moved to utah and then i've been wyoming and then now in new mexico okay and you uh well we'll get to where you what you do for work and everything but where did you spend most of the time growing up you know those informative years say up till the beginning of high school? Um, that would have been in Colorado, in Grand Junction, and then up around Eagle, Colorado. Okay. And what was it like there at that time? Um, I know you're not as old as I am, um, <laughs> or, or we're really close, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm not afraid to say it, because most people in my family don't live this long. I'm 62. 62, okay. Yeah, you're a little younger than me. Um Right. I grew up in the south of San Francisco in the Bay Area, so I wasn't rural. Grand right. Junction Not, was pretty rural at that time. It was. It was a very small town. And um, then we moved to a farm up. Uh, Dad was a farmer. We lived in town in Grand Junction early on. And then 
we lived on the farm up in Colorado when he when he passed away. But um, we it, it was uh, we lived at nine thousand feet, and it was an hour and a half drive to school and an hour and a half home. And you know, it uh, it was it was fun times. It was enjoyable. Was that hour and a half on a bus? On a school bus, yes. Wow. You know, and if it uh, if we got four feet of snow, the bus came with chain. Bus came to us with chains on it, and we went no matter what. There was no snow days. It could be three, four feet, and you still went. Right, not like nowadays. Right, if it gets a skift and gets cold, they cancel. Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of a shame, but you know, it's it's the way life yeah. is nowadays. It is. So, what did you do? I mean, you you were on the on the farm. And that was an hour and a half to school, but you said you lived down in, in the, in the valley first, um, or yeah. what I'd call the valley. And then you, yeah. did, did you commute, did your dad commute up to the farm at that time or? No, he worked in town in Grand Junction Okay, until the time we moved to go. He was born and raised on a farm, went to the military, came out and then tried to city life and then it didn't work out so he'd rather go back to the to the uh farming that makes sense and so at what age did you move up to the farm then um i was 11 11 okay so you had a a lot of uh farm duties in growing up <laughs> yeah we we had to uh uh we had chickens and pigs and all kinds of stuff to do and then we grew the garden in the summer that took all our time and then in the winter, when it became calving season, the the, ranch, the farm ranch we worked on had 1,500 head of cows, and he taught me how to take care of cows and pull calves and do all the all the not so happy stuff. Right, kind of like uh, Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> we we didn't have a train station, but uh, we had a lot of the rest of it. There you go. So then, um, what? I mean, you got to drive farm equipment. Uh, did you have a motorcycle or bicycles or? You know, I I didn't. When we were on the farm, it was pretty much work. If a few weren't at school or whatever, and and then all, of course all summer, it was just they always had plenty to do. So. Right. At that time, you know, the, the, we were really poor, didn't have a whole lot. So we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot. We actually got to the point for, I remember for the longest time, you'd go to town once a month and get groceries and the rest of the time you had to make it with whatever you had. Wow. Okay. That's uh that can be a rough life, but it can be, it can be motivating as well. You know, it's very fulfilling because at the end of the day, you're, you're tired and you you've actually accomplished some tasks. Right. And so then what was school like for you? Was it just was it a relief to get off of the the farm there for a while? You know, it was because we'd catch the bus around six o'clock, six thirty in the morning, depending on the snow day, and and get home around five thirty, six six o'clock at night. And you know, I really longed to, for the education and to, to be a little more social because living on the farm, you didn't have to get to see a lot of people, but to be a little bit social, but I guess that's why I'm not the greatest of uh, social as, as now, but um, I looked forward to school at that time. Well, I'd say everybody the, that has met you thinks you're pretty social and nice guy. I mean, you're not the guy that goes, that sees somebody standing there or, or, you know, a crowd and you're going to go over and shake everybody's hand and introduce yourself. But, you know, you're, you're very accommodating. You know, yeah, it is. And I, and I really like people. I'm just a bit shy. Right. It's, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm approachable, but I'm, I don't approach a lot, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then through high school, still on the, on the farm? No, um, I was 15 when my father passed away. Okay. And um, I moved to Utah with some other family and lived with my aunt and uncle in, in Vernal, Utah, where, you know, you've had a couple races over there. But I, I lived in Vernal all through high school. And that's where I met my first wife, um, had four kids there. And I really enjoyed the area. 
Okay, and is that I know that that one of your friends, Mitch Funk, lives in that area. Is did you meet him at that time, or was no? That later I actually, on, I actually um, met Mitch in Moab through some some friends of ours and my and my kids. But I met Mitch Funk in in uh, in uh, Moab and started wheeling with him there, and that would have been two thousand seven, somewhere two thousand eight. Okay. You're in after informative years, you know, your high school years, you were there in, in Vernal. That's not as big as like Grand Junction. No, Vernal, Vernal's is a, is, well, especially in the seventies was a very small town. Right. So then just like one high school and everybody, everybody knew each other and. Hey, yep. That, 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 that was the commonality of it that, uh, um, it was small enough that everybody I think our graduating class was less than a hundred. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's small, especially, you know, for an area that, uh, you know, with that religious base where, you know, it's all about having kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, while I was in high school, um, I think I was in the, finished the 10th grade and met a friend and, and I, I started doing circle tracks, helping a friend take care of a Camaro on circle tracks. That's got, that's what got me started there, um, in like in motorsports. Okay. And were you able to drive at that point? Um, no, through high school you know, or I, no, um, I was a, just a pit crew. Okay. And a friend of mine, Marvin, he was the, the, the driver. And high school, was it easy? Was it uh, difficult? It was, of course it was difficult because right after my father passed away, um, you know, your attitudes change and you're mad at the world and, and the teachers weren't too accommodating, you know, they, they like anything. They didn't have a lot of time. So, um, my, my last couple of years of high school was pretty tough. Yeah. So you were into the, into the motorsports with helping your friend with a pit crew as a pit crew. Yeah. How long did you do that for? I, I probably helped him for probably just the three years, um, through through the eleventh, twelfth grade of high school, and then one year after, he kept racing, and then once I had children, and and um, I I moved, we we kind of just drifted apart and didn't help anymore. Okay, and I know that you work in the oil and gas industry now. Did you Vernal's real big for that? Um, I don't know if it was at the time. Um, is that that is that where you got started in that? You know, it was where I got started, but it was later years because uh, since I had a number of years on the farm right after my father passed, then um, I, 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 I worked on the farm, different farms there, and and I started doing the oil field, uh, I think about the time my oldest son was born, around 80, 81. Okay. And then, so how many, how long were you married before you had children? Um, only a year and a half. We wanted to, we, um, we discussed it and wanted to have our kids early enough that we could have a, have a later life. Right. And what was it, what was it like raising your, your kids? I, I know three, four of well, them. I have, I have, uh, three sons, then a daughter. And then I had a, a, a my youngest later on later, but, uh, it was, it was a good challenge. You know, I, 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 still, I, I'm I'm happy that I that it happened and and um it uh it makes you a whole different person. It does. It does. What were your challenges as a as a young father? You know, it was um trying to do things different. You know, you when you when you grow up and your father is one way and then you didn't agree with some of it and then you try to raise your children different, but then a lot of times you end up drifting back to the, uh, the original, uh, the way you were raised that you would have some knowledge of, but it, it was, uh, it was tough cause I had three boys and then a girl and, um, then one more boy later, but, um, yeah, it, it was, it was a challenge, any raising children. And I, 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 I really don't envy the, people who have to raise children in today's age. And it was a lot different back then. Yeah, I agree. We had a lot more freedoms, I think, or less concerns about our safety. 
Um, yeah. You know, if something was going to happen, it was because we were dumb and did something, <laughs> not somebody <laughs> doing something to us. Which was quite often, you know, <laughs> um, like my, like when I grew up, we would go out on a, on a weekend or in the summer, we would get out of the house and uh, be gone for eight, 10, 12 hours. Mom and dad probably didn't know where we were, but they knew we were okay unless one of us came home because I have two brothers and one sister. But one of us had come back and tell tell if something bad happened, but other than, otherwise it, it was just an all-day deal. And so when I was raising my kids, I kept a little more eye on them, I think, but I encouraged them to be outside all the time. Right. I know that when I was uh, a young father, it was right around the time that the Nintendos or whatever you know, came out and everybody got so involved in that. And, you know, as a family, of course, you know, we, we went and bought one and I think after about a three weeks or something, I put it back in the box and hit it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, my, my boys would play with it, but then they still did everything outside. And what were the kind of things that you did with, with them as they were growing up? We, we did a bit of fishing. I'm not a big fisherman, but we did fish a little bit. And then we went camping a lot. We loved just being in the mountains. And and because um, I didn't buy my first Jeep until um, 2005. All I had was a pickup and a camper. And we would just go up in the mountain and walk around and, and uh, see everything. Let me guess. Then, it was a Ford pickup? Yeah. Yeah. Everything's been Ford. <laughs> and... Then um, the my my oldest son was one when I started doing the drag mud drag racing, and so then we we did a lot of that through the years. Okay, well, talk about that. How'd you get involved? How did that happen? You know, I I, I really don't know. I I probably went and saw one, and um, and like any any young man that just thinks I can do that, and then you get out there and you can't do that unless you put a lot more effort in it than what you believe. And, um, I started, started that in, I think 82. And then it just went from there, you know, our stock pickup and then it went from there and then got into the, the high horsepower later. And besides the, the mud trucks, what else did you, did you get involved with racing? You know, I, 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 I've helped people do drag racing, um, talk out, top alcohol drag racing and altered drag racing. I was a, a crew chief on a altered and I was just a, a, just one of the crew members on a top alcohol dragster. And then, and, and then when I quit mud racing, I got into helping a friend of mine do, uh, um, top eliminator sand drags and, that was, you know, that's high horsepower, you know, 3000 horsepower trying to go 300 feet and under two, two and a 2.9 seconds was our, our, uh, goal. And it, uh, it's just been, just been, uh, one, I have to have some high horsepower to do. <laughs> that need for speed. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, and you gotta, you gotta do it while you can, cause, one of these days it's not going to keep going. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I grew up with a, in a drag racing family. My dad drag raced. Um, he was a car builder. I mean, he, he had street rods and stuff like that back in the, uh, in the fifties. And, mm-hmm. uh, but in the sixties, early sixties, they ran a, him and his buddy ran a, a car and, uh, I remember growing up around that, being in the shop, being young, you know, and and they had a shop that was like right off a an alley off of the main street in our town. And it snowed one time and they took, and it was on a day they were supposed to go drag racing. Instead, they took the car and went, did, did launches up and down the main street, you know, where all the shopping, you know, all the small shops and all the restaurants and all that kind of stuff were in the snow. And that's the one thing I remember growing up about the drag car. <laughs> you know, and, 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 um, I've never really cared for going around in a circle. I tried it a little bit in the nineties, but my oldest son, we did, um, circle track racing with him in the, in the nineties. And, um, it's just all, 
all part of it. And I know which let's go down through the, the age group on who's who, um, who's the oldest, uh, the oldest one's John. Okay. And then the second one is Sean Jr. And then Kevin, which has been my co-driver from the start. And then Amy, my only daughter, of course. And then I have Lee, my youngest son. And then Dawn, my current wife. Um, she has one daughter, Samantha. Okay. Awesome. I wasn't sure of, you know, what the, who was the oldest of the three boys that I'm very familiar with, but, uh, I've never asked. So it's good to know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then you're doing the, the mud racing. You're working at that time. Were you working on the farms? No. When I started mud racing, I was, uh, I, that was about the time I started in the oil field in and, Vernal. Okay. And what did you do in the oil fields? I was just a roustabout, which was a guy who cut and threaded pipe, cleaned up oil, shoveled dirt. And just You have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Right. And that has been a, a pretty good career for you, has it not? It has. You know, I, I got into uh, equipment maintenance taking care of large equipment like scrapers and cats and things like that. And then, and then I got into, um, compression, which is what it's called now when it's natural gas compression. We, we just take the, we gather gas, gas out of the wells and compress it and clean it and ship it on. And I've been with the company I'm at now for 26 years. Wow. Congratulations. That's a, that's a stretch. That is a milestone every, every year. Yeah, I mean, it's not, that's not real common anymore. Um, no. I, I I know that I never had a job that lasted more than five years until I became an off-road event promoter. Right, until you worked for yourself. Yep. And even some of those that I had that only lasted less than five years were jo- or businesses that I ran myself, my own companies. Uh-oh. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, I just, I always got, I always got bored, you might say, I think is what it right. was. I just needed something and I could never find out what it was that I needed until, until I found rock crawling. Imagine You're that. Right. You know, and, 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 the the challenge that I have at the work that I do now, um, we work on engines that, that cost just the bare engine is, is an X is over $2 million. And so the, the, what it takes to maintain them is definitely never, never ended being a challenge. I can imagine two million dollars on an engine. Wow. Yeah, just, just that's just the basic engine, and then by the time you you add all what it takes to make a package that will run a compressor, um, you're getting in the five to five and a half million dollar range, and we we have a hundred and some of those. So really, yeah. So it's it's. Is that like one engine per plant then? Well, it's one engine. It'd be just like a compressor in your shop. Okay. You've got a, an electric motor and a compressor and a tank. But we just, we have the the engine, which is natural gas fired, and then the compressor, which compresses natural gas to ship it down the pipeline. And each one of those, um, you know, a compressor in your shop will cost around $2,000 these are around $5 million. And, and like I say, we have well over a hundred of them. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. So as you started to have the kids were, where were, where were you living when the kids came along? Uh, we were in Vernal because I met, yeah, my wife and I graduated from high school together, but we didn't know each other at all. We met through some friends later. And so we got married a year and a half after high school and another year um, after that year, almost year and a half, we started having kids and, and, um, it was all in Vernal. So you had a graduating class of less than a hundred or right yep. around a hundred and yep. you didn't know her. I did not. Cause at that time, um, I was having to, I, I would get out of school and go to work on the farm, get up in the morning, go to work on the farm and make it to school. So I wasn't, I wasn't at the social functions and everything that goes through high school. So it was work and school and 
Okay. Yeah. I get it. Yep. And then um, you said after Vernal, you've been to a few other places. You want to go yeah, through we those? Actually, well, after Vernal, um, I got a job offering Grand Junction. And we went to Grand Junction for a little over two years. And I ran a, a water truck business. Uh, didn't run the business. I ran the maintenance shop repairing all of their water trucks and um and then that was in uh in uh 1990 and then then i moved to uh wyoming um where the wind always blows yeah the wind never stops and it's always cold yes we we used to always say that we would go inner tubing or sledding on the fourth of july that was our we'd go up in the mountains and go sledding on snow. So <laughs> it, uh, it's a whole different world up there. You have to appreciate it. <laughs> yes. So and then uh, you were in Wyoming for how long? For two years. For two years, okay. From uh, 92 to 94. And then in 94, I moved here to to uh, Aztec, New Mexico. And was that chasing a job? Yep. It was always chasing, chasing a job because, you know, back in the, in the nineties, the oil field had crashed, everything had crashed and it, you just got work wherever you could. And, and so we, we just chased work for a number of years. Okay. And that's where, um, let's see the age of your kids. So that's uh, my, my youngest son was born when we were in Wyoming. Okay. So Lee was that born was there or yeah. not Lee. Yeah. 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 Lee was born there. Yes. And then, um, so what was it, what was it like raising kids in Farmington or Aztec? I mean, it's, that's all kind of the same. Yeah. It's all area. The same. You know, you know, it's a, it's a quiet community. It's, um, they, they, uh, they're all, everybody's real friendly. It's a nice place to live. And, um, the schools were good. Okay. And the that's where you you've been with that company now for 26 yes. years yep i started in the uh, summer of 96 and and um been here ever since wow and my my wife passed away in 99 and so then i i raised the from then till um um six years ago from then till six years ago i just all i did was have a little fun that's when i started um well i i was i was allowed to raise my children on my own right yeah i decided i decided that not, there was no sense looking for another spouse so i just took care of my kids i commend you on that you know it's it it it, it was it was very enjoyable but i can't say it was easy well even even when you have a a partner to help with that raising, it's not easy. Right. So yep. doing it on your own and then trying to be the breadwinner as well, um, it, it I can imagine you had your hands full because I know your kids. <laughs> yeah, they're all good kids, and they are. And it uh, it uh, like I say, it was a definitely an adventure. And did they? Did your kids get involved in like sports or anything, or were they working at a young age? You know, they, um, they all played, uh, um, football, basketball, baseball, baseball was a big thing. Cause I liked baseball and they did too. So I, I coached what I could. I helped coach, um, pretty much all of the boys. And then my daughter, she did volleyball and soccer and, and yeah, we had a lot of, a lot of sports going on. Well, good. That's awesome. You said you, uh, you got into your first Jeep was, when was it again? 2005. 2005. Okay. That's why I wrote that down. Yeah. And, and I, go ahead. I started building it into a, just a, a rock crawler. It's my scrambler that I raced later. Um, and I, I just started building it into a rock crawler and, that's when I met up with uh, Mitch Funk and some of the other guys, you know, 
did you get involved with the local clubs down there? You know, I didn't at that time. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I got involved with the National Scrambler Association and met up with them in Moab in 2006. And and I've been a member ever since, but uh, not the local club till later. Okay. And you you met Mitch and and then after Mitch was it uh, was it Dean and Jeff or what was that yeah, all together yeah. or yeah Mitch and Jeff and Dean and all of those guys because in 2011 was the first time I went to uh, see an off road race uh, King of the Hammers okay and I went down and helped helped Jeff and and some other friends and um, um, it went from there. And then you decided, okay, that's going fast and I've got to try it. Yeah, that's the thing. They, 2012 was the first EMC. They, they decided, Dave and his people decided they were going to do a lower class. And I knew, and I still wouldn't have the money to race in the upper class. But um, I, I, I thought I could race in that lower class with what I had because it was just a bring your trail rig, put a bunch of safety equipment in it. Um, Basically, my scrambler at the time had everything except for um, fire extinguishers, fuel cell, and a little bit of stuff like that. And so it was pretty easy to get started. And you picked the 4500 class because of that, because it was modified enough? Yeah, it was too modified for the for the stock class. So I, I picked the 4500. And what did you think that first uh, 4500 race when you went out there and cars that were supposedly built to the class were I, I know that racing is, is all about, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not winning, but, and I don't want to say anybody cheated, but man, there was some really pushing of the gray areas. Yeah, there was, there was, there, there was a uh, ride in the fringe and, <laughs> um, but we went down there just to have fun. That was the thing about the, when we got started and it's still nothing but fun for us anyway, but, when we when we went the first time we we were running we were very capable with some of the rigs that were there and um we we uh there's a and, and i don't know if you know the story behind me ever racing down there no um it, it, it's all mitch funk's fault because he <laughs> they uh they uh started that class and he called me up one afternoon and we had been in moab racing or playing and he called me up and he says, what do you think about uh, racing King of the Hammers? And I said, I don't know. You know, I got to take a little bit of work to get it going and this and that. And he goes, he tells me at that time, he goes, well, I, I call or I went and paid your entry fee today. So you have to go. <laughs> and so that's how I got entered into the very first one. So that afternoon when I got off the phone, I went on, found the website, found out how to do it. And I entered him at that time. You <laughs> you just put your name in and and paid the paid the money, and um, so he entered me and I entered him in out of <laughs> out of trying to get back at him. So the, the start of that was my whole career at Ultra Four started with Mitch Funk paying and telling me I was going. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And uh, how did you do that first year down there? I believe I got fourth or fifth because I was running really good. And of course I hit a, hit a boulder that was out in the middle of nowhere, hiding behind one of those bushes and um, broke the steering box off. And that was when we started that we're going to complete our race no matter what. Kevin walked a mile and we didn't have a steering box, but Jeff Rector did. So Kevin walked a mile, um, got Jeff Rector's spare steering box. We put it on and we did finish the race. Very good. Very good. No time limit then? Um, yeah, there was, there was, there was still the time limit, but, um, it was, we still had plenty of time. Okay. And how is your completion record at KOH been? Um, there's been 11 EMCs and we've been in all of them. And I believe one year I finished after time, but Dave gave me the completion because it was a really horrendous course for us and so i believe i finished nine out of the 11 nine out of 11 that's pretty good yeah there's a lot of guys that would love to have that kind of a record 
yeah, we're very proud of ourselves because, you know, being uh, all home built. So, yeah, you guys aren't like no factory, you know, no big, big sponsors. Um, you know, it's, it comes out of, uh, out of your garage. Yeah. It comes out of our pockets and our time and even the travel and everything. Yeah. It's all, it's all us. Did, was Kevin your first, uh, navigator co-pilot? Yeah. He's, he was the navigator all the way up until this last KOH. And then his, his life, he want he had some other things he wanted to do. So this year, um, he did KOH and then the rest of the season, He's been just helping out. Okay. And then did, was it John that stepped in? No, I actually, my engine builder's name's uh, Chuck Richardson from RPM Automotive. He, okay. he, uh, he stepped in and, um, cause we didn't know, um, like if John could race or come with us, you don't know when they can come and Chuck signed on for the whole year. Okay. Perfect. Understand. Understood. Okay. And so what's, what is, uh, let's talk about your, your current wife and how you met her. <laughs> I met her through, uh, through, uh, a party of some people that raced ultra four. Oh, really? Here, okay. in, here in Farmington. And I was invited to a party and she was there and, and, um, we were both single of course. And, and, um, it just happened to work out and, We've been married for just a little over six years. And and I'm surprised with the way she cooks that you didn't gain like twice your normal weight. You know, it's tough. I have to, I have to leave some on the plate every day because she loves to cook and she's very good at it. And, um, she definitely knows how to feed people. Yes, <laughs> that she does. That she does. She's a, she's a good caretaker too i mean she seems to be just you know all all on all all in yeah she's a fireball i can't keep up with her <laughs> so how long did you guys uh know each other before you decided to uh to tie the knot almost two years right at two years and, no actually over two years yeah and was it was it an easy choice for you to make to to get married again you know, it, it wasn't because I'd been single for over 15 years and, and, um, it wasn't easy, but she made it easy. That's good to hear. That's awesome. So then your racing career, you know, the mud races, um, that again, that's, you know, it's not making, you know, left-hand turns with the whole time, like you said, <laughs> making laps, um, yeah. The, and then you've done the, the rock racing ultra four. Was there any other racing that you were driving at, at that time? There you know, any of those? When we were doing the sand drag racing, yeah. um, the, the, I don't know how to put it, the stress that's on you during the set, during the sand racing, it's, it's pretty tough, you know, to, 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 to go 150 miles an hour at, Two two point nine seconds, and um, so I drove about half the time with the with the sand dragster. Oh, okay, and what what was that like sitting on? You know, going from zero to one hundred and fifty in under three seconds is one of the greatest feelings. Because in mud racing, we would go um, up to two well, about two hundred feet in under two seconds. And then we would, in sand drags, we would go, uh, we were limited. Our class was 2.95 breakout and we would go 295 to, to three seconds in 300 feet run after run. And the, the, the adrenaline rush of, of the, uh, the, the G force and all that it takes is just hard to explain until you do it. And then the mud racing part, you're doing that while you're either going left, right, or once in a while you'd get to go straight. But you're <laughs> you're always trying to go the wrong way. Yeah, because the uh the surface that you're running on is not necessarily uh consistent. Right. It's very, very slick, depending on whether it was sandy or just mud. Right. And and what did you race just, you know, kinda locally or did you race nationally? No. 
I, I raced with, uh, with back in the, in the late eighties and into the nineties with, uh, USA, United sports of America. And we went all over as well, California and, and South Carolina. And we, we did a lot of traveling, um, to those races. But the thing about the mud racing is, is the runs are two to three seconds long. So you might drive 2000 miles to make two, three second runs. <laughs> wow. That's kind of like the old XRA days, except that you got a couple of minutes, you know, and everybody used to say, well, we need more racing time. We need more racing time. Did you ever yeah. see any of that XRA stuff? I saw it on, on the videos, but I, I haven't, I didn't get to go to one. Okay. And, uh, what is, uh, what is, what is up, what is coming up for you guys? I mean, are you going to, you got any special plans? Yeah. You know, this year, uh, Ford, um, made us a smoking deal on a, a 21 Bronco. I believe it's a pre-production. We can't license it or anything like that. So we're making a 4,600 class, which I'm sure everybody's seen the three that are already out there that are, um, Ford sponsored and, um, built. And we got a stock Bronco that's just right off the showroom floor with 500 miles on it. And, and, um, we've started working on it and we've got the, we've got the portals for the front end and we're working on, um, working with Lauren Healy and the fun haver off road to, uh, get a lot of the rest of the parts because we were our contract says we're going to race that one at koh 23 so we'll have the two vehicles there this this coming 23 oh really and so that's the that's going to be a 4600 car yes that's a 4600 so we'll have our 4500 that we have and then uh, the 4600 will be new and how are you going to drive both i'm not okay the the 4600, um, I believe John and Kevin and Andrew, my my three, John and Kevin are sons and Andrew's uh, son-in-law. And the, between the three of them, they'll figure out who's going to drive it and co-drive it and we'll work it all out. Okay, cool. And then you'll be still in the uh, in the old car? Yeah, I'll be in the 4500. Uh, you know, my, my lifelong goal, I don't know that I'll... With the competition that's out there right now, my lifelong goal was to ever win KOH, but I, I I I give it my all, and I don't feel bad if I don't. But that's my goal. That's a good goal to have. It is. So what what was the difference in racing for those? Explain the difference in racing, like at Ultra Four, at and Dirt Riot. I know there was you know, a vast difference in how the courses were designed and that kind of stuff, but. There are, you know, the, the, the ultra four, I just love KOH because of the diverse, the diverse terrain that, um, you know, you got the monster rocks and the huge trails, and then you've got the desert and all that. And I always liked the, the dirt riot because the races were a little bit shorter, um, just as brutal. And, but the, the, and it, it's changed over the years. Of course, dirt riot doesn't do them anymore, but, um, the, family aspect of the dirt riot was that's what kept us going you know through the even through the early koh years but um the the koh is a whole different animal because of the size of it but um i think if you ask any of my family and crew the funnest times we had were dirt riot I, I agree, um, at least from my part, you know, of Dirt Riot. The whole goal when we started that was to give to give people a place to start racing and to right. hopefully teach them how to finish races. <laughs> you know, it, it takes us a little while to, to uh, give it your all, but leave a little bit on the table so you can finish. Yes. Yeah. And, and I got that. When I when I started running Vora back in the Valley Off Road Racing Association yeah. up in yeah. northern Nevada and California, we uh you know, one of the things there that, that I learned was that the guys that came out brand new to race that had maybe seen it, decided to do it, buy a car, get it all cleaned up, they come out to race and they 
they were just, most of them, I wouldn't say panic stricken, but they were almost like they were, you know, in over their head the first couple of races. And it was always interesting to watch how they, how they learned to start relaxing and, and getting into the flow and, and being ready to race and, and then hopefully, you know, completing races. Um, desert racing is a lot different than, than the rock racing. You know, you, you can go 300 miles or 200, 400 miles, you know, in a, in an off-road car a lot easier than you can even do sometimes just 50 miles, you know, or, you know, three laps at, in Moab. Um, you know, right. it's just the, the terrain is so much more brutal. It is, you know, when we, we did those, uh, those Dave ultra four had a couple races there in Nevada that were 200, the, the two fifty, and 250 miles wasn't near as brutal as, you know, especially as like KOH KOH was every year. There's years that when I'm done at KOH that I sit in the car for 20 minutes, drink, drink some sodas and or waters and Gatorades and, just to try and calm down and be able to stand up. Right. I get it. <laughs> you know, there was, there was one time I know you'll remember that uh, we were, I think was it like, I can't remember Vernal or somewhere, but we, we, uh, Kevin was driving and we lost the right front wheel and we came in in reverse. Yes. <laughs> the finish line, you know, that was, we, we always wanted to finish. And that, that really surprised me when you guys came in that way too. I, I mean, I, I remember, um, Casey Curry, the first UTV race that was put on at KOH. I did that one and it was yes. like two years before they started doing them regularly. Um, or maybe just the year before, but it was the first year and he had lost all his forward gears and he finished like the last I don't know, I want to say eight to 10 miles. It was all desert, um, in reverse and <laughs> yeah. a UTV that's much easier to do in. To see. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so it, I give you guys credit we, for that. We have, we've always wanted to do whatever it took to finish. Cause then, you know, if once you break, you, you know, you're generally, if you break, you're not going to be on the podium, but, but in your own heart to be, to be, satisfy yourself just to be able to say you fixed it and finished. Right. And the dirt riot, what I, what I really liked about that was, you know, it's most races, off-road races, whether it's rock racing or desert racing, you, you see everybody, you see all your friends maybe before the race, um, but you're still so busy on trying to get the car ready or to qualify and last minute checks and all that kind of stuff, because the racing is, you know, that you're, you're going out so far away from where you're at. Um, yes. And, you know, you got to have pit crews out there, that kind of thing. And then with dirt riot, you know, we, we intentionally made it laps. I remember Derek West after the first race or before the first race, he goes, well, you know, Rich, I really, I really like point to point races. And I said, well, Derek, that's good, but, you know, those are not only is that hard to find property in the U.S. to do that unless we're doing it all on BLM out, you know, and even that a point to point is very difficult in the United States. But it's it, it I said, you know, it doesn't help people become better racers. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, first of all, if you if you're doing the same lap, same terrain multiple times you start to, to feel like, okay, I, I know this part of the corner, you know, this, this corner, this section, I can do this and I'm going to be faster. And what that translates into after doing that a number of times at different, at different locations is then all of a sudden you're at a place like KOH and you come across something and you go, okay, I see it in front of me. I know how to set up for this because I did it before somewhere else. Right. And it's that and repetition. That, and, and, and making the laps actually brought you, of course, it got you back towards your pits, but it also gave the spectators more, more visibility. They got to see you more time because that's some of our issue that a lot of the um, families don't like to go to some of the races because they'll see you 
and then you take off and you're gone. And in an hour you come back and you're done. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I, and especially at the races, I mean, Dave has done a really good job of overcoming that at, at KOH with yes. his live coverage. Um, you know, with everything that they have to overcome out there. I mean, he's, he's gotten yeah. the right people to do the right things and figure it out, yeah. but it's still not perfect. You know, and if you're on the lake bed, it's really hard to watch that live coverage because everybody's on the lake bed and reception sucks. Yes. Yeah. But it, it has came a long ways from, for me anyway, 2011 when I went and watched and then 2012 when I started competing, it's uh, it's a hundred percent better in the last few years. Right. I agree. So you never thought about going slow and doing a rock crawling event? You know, I have, but you know, it, it just hasn't intrigued me. This, 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 there's enough of these races and it takes all my time as it is. So <laughs> maybe, maybe when I actually slow down, <laughs> then I can, I can uh, uh, maybe try something like that. Yeah. I was trying to get, trying to talk Lauren into it as well. Yeah. You know, and that didn't go me well. <laughs> me, me and my, my, my family as a private for privateer uh, group um we can only well we're going to have two racers this year but um the boys are paying for most of the other one but i use it from what it costs to run a season at uh ultra four i could i could never afford to to build a rock crawler <laughs> right i get it i get it yeah so then um with the two cars you're going to campaign them both at Ultra 4, KOH and Ultra 4, all the events, or are you going to select events? Well, we'll see how it goes, you know, the, the, how, how the, where the events lay out and, and how things play out. But yeah, we're planning on KOH and, and at least four or five. I think if we do just the West, there's three West plus the, the Visions middle race and then the, the Nationals at the end. So that would be, five uh, regional races and then KOH. Right. That's a, that's a full schedule, six races. It is this year. I did, uh, um, well, I did Crandon just a couple weeks ago, which was an East coast race that wasn't part of our West. And then we did Tennessee because we, we, we just like racing. And I like being, I liked seeing the, the competitors that we've, we've met through the years. I just like the, the get together part of it. So who do you, who do you like to mix it up with? <laughs> you know, there's, there's a, there's a number of them in our class right now. Um, Dwayne Garrettson is, is one of the best. And, um, um, Justin Hall, he won Crandon. This is his, he won it two years in a row. Um, we got Rick Lavezzo um, that runs with us and Jesse Oliver and then Cody, so there's a number of us here that are just neck and neck all the time that are, and then we've got a couple, a few newcomers that are coming in here to, uh, um, take over the spots. Cool. I, I noticed that when you, you know, a lot of those names I know because, you know, they started with us, Dwayne and, and, uh, Cody, the, and it's nice to see them come up. In fact, Dwayne rock crawled with us before he decided right. to go fast. And then Justin rock crawled with us, and then he decided to go fast and got right. into the racing as well. Um, out on the courses, do you guys, like like at KOH, going up through some of the canyon, rock canyons, how many times have you been in there where you're, you're like wheel to wheel with guys? <laughs> it's, it's all the time um, because, you know, someone will get hung up on a rock and you'll go around them. Some of them will have a flat or a breakdown or, or, you know, have to, have to stop for a minute to get them a drink of water. Um, so we pass each other over and over and over. And is, is that, is that, is that fun? Is it more, is it more it is. thrilling to do that than just, you know, be in an open air? Yeah, it is. I, I, I really love to, uh, like you said, get in there and mix it up and, and get tired of tire. Cause when we were in Cranon the other day, 
my transfer case popped out going up the rock ledge and and um um i got hit in the tail ripped the fender off and you know it's a we when we're out on the course we're competitors when we're in the pits we're we're friends and we help each other and but when we're out on the course we wouldn't do anything to to hurt anyone but we would run over each other to get where we're going right now i remember those early years at koh um there was a lot of people getting run over (laughs) i mean the cars (laughs) car over car or rolled into that kind of thing yeah and that still happens not to the extent it used to but it does still happen so explain to me the the best race or the funnest race that you had at KOH. Do you remember what year it was, or where you just said, "Wow, that was that was one to you know to remember." Well, the 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 most memorable race. We'll just we'll call it that. The, okay. I, I ran the scrambler at KOH two times, and I did finish both times. The one time was after time, but Dave gave it to me, and um, um, we weren't supposed to be out in the dark, and and we had broke the broke the steering box and this was the second time broke the steering box and replaced it. We, and Kevin and I sat in that car. He got out a number of times to winch and thing, but he's, we sat in that car for almost 13 hours. I didn't get out at all for 13 hours. And to me, that's the most memorable, um, because of overcoming all the adversity that it took to, to make it. We came in at, in the dark and all it had was the, 1982 original headlights and only one of them worked and we're coming into the finish line with only one headlight and and, um that's the most memorable but i think the we'll we'll just say the most stressful one was two years ago we lost reverse at about the 10 mile mark (laughs) and we we finished within time i think we finished Oh, we were number eight, I think that that time. And every time we'd get hung up on a rock, which happened probably a hundred or more times, Kevin had to get out and throw the winch under the car and find something behind us to pull us back. And wow. I think by the time we got done, he uh, he was. I don't think he could have walked, stepped, or even breathed one more inch because he was he was tired. I would imagine having to get out and, and winch like that. And when you're, when you're down there and you're working on the car and you're trying to get ready, ha- have you ever had that, that feeling like the night before the race that it isn't going to work? It's not going to happen. You know, actually I haven't, I've, I keep the upbeat attitude that, that we're at the peak of our game because KOH is the first race of the year and we get a couple months to get prepped for it. And I haven't personally ever thought that we weren't we weren't going to do good. I've always I've always thought I'm going to this is my year. <laughs> awesome. So out of those 9, the 9 that you finished, that means there's two that you didn't finish. What took you out during those races? The two that we we uh didn't finish um it was the first year that we raced the Willie's truck and we had shocks off and all that. We ended up rolling it at the top of short bus, got it back on its wheels, and then made it about another, I don't know, 10 or 12 miles, not that far, and rolled it again, ripped the front end clear out of it and all the shocks off of it. And there was no no fix in that one. And then um, the second time that we didn't finish, the right front link broke and ripped the shock and everything out of it and um i walked two miles to to uh pit two and i and and they put all the parts in a backpack and i had a link a lower link uh shock oil and hydraulic hoses for the steering and all the parts in a backpack and i walked back while kevin was tearing the car apart to get it ready to put back together and um i walked back that two miles and um, we got it put together and we made it. I think we made about three quarters of the race that year, but we did time out. Well, that's understood, but that, that's a good hike carrying all it, those it parts. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, 
prediction this year? What do you think you'll do? You know, uh, it's like always, we're going to, well, we're, we're, we tore the, Crandon is a, an amazing race course, but it tore us to pieces and it did a lot of other people. I'm not sure, you know, there was a lot of things happened there, but as far as mechanically, it tore us plumb to pieces. The front ends out getting straightened and rebraced the, the transmissions down at the shop, getting they're rebuilding the transmission. Cause I had some things happen and the engine was getting a little low on oil pressure and we just took it out to look at it. And then the rear end is coming out just because it's, we do it every race. So, uh, I think with all the new parts in it and everything, I'm hoping that, uh, my goal is to win it and um we're just going to do the best we can and then the 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 stock bronco that's going to be i believe uh watching the other ones go uh that's going to be just a hoot right i i know that there's some people that that want to see the broncos um i want to i i would guess it would be they don't want to see the broncos at the top of the podium anymore (laughs) right yeah, I, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of people, you know, jockeying for the, to knock the Broncos off the post. That's going to be tough because they've got, you know, they've got some good backing. Um, they've done their homework and there's some good teams running them. There are, they're, they're excellent vehicles and they're excellent teams. And we're hoping we can step up and, and, um, of course we're going to be, although we're going to be running the Bronco, we're, uh, we're wanting to be in front of them. So, right. The, the one thing that we have in our little Bronco and it's the only one I think that's out there is we, it's not the only one with the four cylinder eco boost, but I believe it is the only one with a standard. Oh, really? Yeah. They run a stick that that'll be interesting. Yeah. And we, we, uh, we've talked about putting an automatic in it, but we're going to give it a shot with the, the stick and, um, and see if we can get a little bit of an advantage in certain places. Right. And it may be, I don't know. Um, how strong are those? Are there, are there manual transmissions? You know, nobody really knows because this is a, uh, this transmission is as far as I know is only in this Bronco. You know what I mean? And there's more of them than one out there, but, um, it's rated if you go on the website about it from the transmission maker it's rated at 400 horse and that's what we're going to be putting in it wow okay that's interesting that's going to that's going to be something to watch yeah it'll 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 be a challenge in itself but i think it'll be i, I think it'll be good good fun right and and one thing is is that nobody'll be able to steal it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, there, there, there. Uh, a lot of people won't be able to. <laughs> so, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted you wanted to talk about? Anybody uh, that you want to give a shout out to, or? Well, you know, if I was to if I was to thank someone, the biggest thing would be my wife and my kids, because she keeps me she keeps me down to earth and keeps me fed, of course, but she keeps me in line and doesn't let me get too far south and then my my family my my boys and then and then my son-in-law drew that does our body work and helps out with a, what races he can and um um you know we've got my my engine builder chuck he's my co-driver my engine builder chuck richardson and then we get we get help from a number of people you know i don't i don't that this is the place to say it, but we get Milestar gives sponsors us with tires and right. And, um, um, Rough stuff sponsors us with a uh, with a with a good deal on parts and and um, there's just it takes a lot of people to keep this ship afloat. <laughs> yes, it does, and it's never a bad time to give a shout out to people that help you out, companies or yeah. individuals. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, Sean, I want to say thank you so much for agreeing to come on board and uh, discuss your life and your racing career with us. And I really, I really hope you do win this year. 
<laughs> I really do. Because no, you're, you're one of the guys that I always cheer for. That's my goal. You know, one thing that we've I've tried to instill in my boys and the people that I'm around is um, sportsmanship is is a big thing. You know, don't don't let them don't let anyone's comments get under your skin or don't don't let anyone make you be a bad person. Always we always help anybody we can and and if they if they need a part and we have it and they all we ask for is to get it you know returned um a new one returned when they're done and and we just we just go out there to have have fun and we want to be be a, a great team yeah, and that's one thing i have to give you credit for is i've seen you you do that for people um whether it's chasing down parts providing the parts yourself helping them get their stuff built and you know put back together in the pits or you know wherever um you know what you guys did for for me you know i never had time to work on my vehicle um you know i never had a place to work on it unless it was just the dirt and then every time it came out of the trailer you know i was i had a short period of time to get the racetrack ready right you to, had to use it yeah i had to use it i didn't have time to to spend mm-hmm. you know working on it and you guys would show up and I'd look, you know, I'd be going like, okay, where'd my Jeep go? And somebody go, oh, one of the rants came and grabbed it, you know, and you guys would shake it all down and make repairs and fix things that I didn't even know were wrong. You know? right. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's that we, that we always just, we figured teamwork when you're out on the race course, um, unless someone's on fire, you know, or, or something like that. I, we, we would usually go on by cause we're, we're running up front and trying to win. But, um, in once, once you're off the course or in the pits, yeah, it's all, all family. Absolutely. Well, Sean, thank you so much. And, um, congratulations on, on getting the, uh, the Bronco and, uh, having a second car in the stable. I, I'm really happy to hear that. And I really hope that, uh, that the the new car that, that well the old forty eight or forty five hundred car gets put back together well enough to get you at the top spot. Yeah, we've got that one race left there in Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. This year. Yeah, we got one left, and then then we move on to the teardown again for <laughs> for uh, anyway. Well, just make sure every nut and bolt is tight and marked, and and you're ready to go. We will. All right, Sean. Thank you so much. Well, thanks. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. All right. Good night. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you would think would be a great guest please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.